The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome all of my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. And we are coming to you live from Blastoff Productions in New York City as usual. We have a fascinating show today. We have a special guest, Matthew Cohen from Core, Residen- uh, Core Real Estate, who will be with us in a few minutes. Uh, then our panel of experts will be on to talk about our hot topics as usual. But first, let's get to some of the news items. According to the latest batch of rental market reports, Manhattan rents dropped ever so slightly for the first time since 2014. According to Douglas Elliman, marketing reports the average rent decreased 1% from February and 3% from the same time last year. Meanwhile, the median rent dropped about two points from February and nearly 3% from the same time last year. The rate of growth has been falling since August, explains Jonathan Miller. He prepares those reports for Douglas Elliman. So there's been a little relief in the Manhattan rental prices, as we just spoke about, which have dropped for the first time in a long time, but not so for not so for Brooklyn, rentals and the sale market, which are both up from last year. Most notably, the median price for Brooklyn apartments has sur- surpassed $600,000 uh, in this year's first quarter, according to Corcoran's market report. That's the highest it's been in nearly eight years since the third quarter of 2008, when it was 644000 and a 15% jump from one year ago. The spike in median price, the report finds, is due to Brooklyn's booming resale market. In the past year, the median price for the resale of co-ops jumped 32%, with condo prices jumping 15%. While there's been a 50% gain in listings for new developments in the borough, the highest demand is still more affordable uh, resale, is for more affordable resale properties. So with that said, good morning, Matt. Nice to see you. Good morning. No problem. So Matt, uh, Matthew Cohen is a licensed real estate salesperson at CORE, and he's a member of the Real Estate Board of New York, or Revenue as we call it here, which awarded him a couple of years ago runner-up for Rookie of the Year. I think that's when I first met Matt. Matthew's primary goal is finding his clients uh, the perfect residence. He grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and attended high school in the beautiful suburban uh, town of Tenafly in New Jersey, a background that has given him in-depth understanding of real estate in any neighborhood. He loves to play golf, tennis, ski, and spend time with his family and friends. He's an active member within the New York LGBT community. Wow. Impressive resume. <laughs> I don't sleep that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. Listen, you know, so uh, for a, a young, uh, very successful agent here in New York City, it's interesting for me to compare and contrast, uh, you know, folks who've been in this business for a very long time or who are older, you um, already seem to be on your way to major accomplishment. So I got to ask you to start with, what were you like as a kid? 
I was way too um, focused on the future. I was never focused on the present, and I think it ha- it actually helps me a lot in my career now. Um, you know, I for some reason was always into talking to older people. It was definitely about growing up and as an only child. I had no siblings to talk to every day, and I forgot about that. As much as I am best friends with my parents, you know, hanging out with them every day gets a little old. So I got used to hanging out with their friends. I get it. What did your parents do when you were growing up? What kind of work did they do or still do? My, they were actually both in the sales area. Um, my mom worked in investment banking at Citigroup, mm-hmm. and my dad was in commercial real estate um, and still is in commercial real estate. So let me ask you, so it's interesting because you've kind of done the reverse. So you grew up in Manhattan and then you moved to the suburbs to go to high school. What, what is that like? How do, how do you make that transition, I guess, because you're old enough in high school uh, early years to know the difference between the big city and the suburbs. How did you make that transition to going to school outside of New York? It or was it a big transition? It was a big transition. Um, it was difficult, but it was and it was culture shock. But I actually take it as a huge positive. First of all, I have a great group of friends that make up my support system from you know who I grew up with in New Jersey as well as who I grew up with in the city. But more so in the real estate world, I love that with my clients, I can really understand where they're coming from when they talk about the urban life of being in Manhattan as opposed to the suburbia life and contemplating moving out sometimes when they're having children or staying in, I can really give my two cents about a lot of that. So you you went to college, you graduated, and you worked first in investment banking. Tell me about that. I did. Um, it, it was fantastic. It, it was a very it's a very difficult atmosphere with lots of hours. But I actually, you know, I was a double major in college um, in finance and marketing, and I had a minor in entrepreneurship. And so I have a very, very analytical background, which obviously steered me towards the investment banking position I was in. But I always, I grew up in the real estate world. It's something I always wanted to do. So I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I would someday hope to get here. Um, But the great thing from moving to investment banking to now is that I'm very used to working all the time. I'm very used to not sleeping. The only difference is I love what I do now. The pressure and the stress and and, and the focus is, is very similar in both professions. It's interesting, though, because how long did you work as an investment banker? I was only in it for a year and a half. Well, long enough. <laughs> <laughs> long, long enough to make me tired. <laughs> long enough to make you tired or to realize your dream. So tell me, you know, I, I, so I know your father's in, in commercial real estate, but, but what is it about the real estate profession? And we'll get more into the market stuff in a bit, but what is it about the profession of real estate for a young person coming out of college and saying, oh, you always dreamed about, you know, going into the industry? What is it about the, the, the business of real estate that is so intriguing for you? And to make a career change very early on, smartly, I think, but for early on, uh, what is it about real estate? Definitely. I, I absolutely love having every day be different. And not only every day be different, but all of my clients are so different um, from different ages, different professions, different stages in their lives. And it just makes life more interesting, I guess. I, you know, I love being able to use my analytical side that I grew up with, but at the same time, having grown up in the real estate world, I love that I can bring both together, if that makes sense, and, and bring it to my clients and have that human interaction every single day. All right. So you're in the real estate business for a few years now. So tell me, um, what inspired you to become 
Well, you just answered the question to become an agent, but what drives you, though, each day to be successful? Because as we know in this business, you know, there is there are a lot of successful brokers out there. There are a lot of agents out there that aren't so successful. But in order for us to succeed, we have to have something within us that's kind of driving us to that finish line. I know for myself, you know, when I wake up in the morning, it's like I, I can't turn the brain off from thinking about what I need to do today, how many of these things I have to get accomplished today. Am I going to win this negotiation? Am I not? Et cetera, et cetera. But there's, there's always something that drives me. So what drives you to get to the position that you are now successful, but wanting to be even more so? Because this is, as I say, every week on this program for different reasons, this is a very difficult business to be in and to be successful in. It's extremely difficult, and I give every single person in the business a lot of credit for for doing it every single day. Um, what drives me, it sounds extremely corny, but first and foremost is definitely my clients. Um, you know, I really, really like a lot of my clients, and I get to know them inside and out. And at the end of the day, I just want them to be happy with what we're doing, whether that's closing on the residents they love, or even just getting into contract. Uh, you know, I I had got two fully executed contracts on on Friday, and I'm getting another one today. And and my Yay. client is so happy. Before I went to sleep last night, he texted me. You know, all these emoticons about how excited he is to finally be in contract. Or even if it's getting an accepted offer, I really, really love seeing my clients happy. So that's definitely a huge thing that drives me. But what most people don't realize out there in 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 the universe, because we, we broadcast around the world in addition to around the nation here in the U.S., but what most people don't realize is how difficult this position is or real estate transactions are here in New York, very different than any place else in the world. The way we do our business, the way we do our deals uh, cannot be compared to any other place, uh, even in the suburbs of New York. So when we say we get excited with an accepted offer and then we say we get even more excited with a signed contract, uh, it's understandable because we know what it takes to get a client to that point. And sometimes, you know, I've been in this business 14 years, as as my listeners keep hearing me say from week to week, but I still can't believe after all of these years that when something does get into contract, and I just recently had a situation where it took a little bit of time and it was excruciating, and I think, why? You know, it shouldn't be that hard. It really shouldn't be that hard because anywhere else in the world it isn't. But again, here it is. So and let me ask you, you know, clients are the major part of our success. How do you find your clients? Where do they come from? Obviously, I grew up in and out of the city, so I definitely have a network from just living here my whole life. But at the same time, I definitely find that the things that I like to do in my spare time is a huge influence on just who my clients are. Um, I went to college for golf as well, and I still play as much as I can. Hope We're hoping that the weather gets a little better soon. Um, so I get clients from just doing that and also being involved in organizations like organizations revolving around the LGBT community. I don't really, I always tell new agents in the business that who are thinking about how do they network, I always say, focus more on what you want to do and what you're passionate about, not where you can make the most clients. Because I find that when I'm involved in things that I'm passionate about, people see that 
and they want to work with me. They want to be involved with me. So you have to basically, I mean, I'm glad you said the word, you know, pretty much networking is, is how we get our customers. And I tell my newer agents all the time that that's really the only way, you know, there's not a lead generation system that, you know, you know, gives me five leads a day that I can hand out, you know, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? But so, you know, along those lines of networking, you know, when you touched on a few things though, so at a younger age, you know, do you appeal to younger customers or do you appeal to customers across the, the age spectrum? Or does it matter one way or the other? Or Age has never been an issue or something that's been brought up between other brokers that I work with or even my clients. My clients range from all different ages, from, you know, first-time buyers to people having their second, third, and fourth kid. Um, it. I hate to say the phrase again, it sounds corny, but everyone in my life, whether it's my friends, my families, or my coworkers, have always said that I'm a 50-year-old stuck inside a 26-year-old body <laughs> in so many different ways. But That's not a bad thing. It's, it, it could be a bad thing, but thankfully, you know, in the work that we do, it's a good thing. I've always been someone that, you know, age is not the first or the 10th thing that you find out about me. What you find out about me is how knowledgeable and passionate I am about the industry and knowing every single thing about it. So that is, I guess, a good thing for me because I know that a lot of young people have trouble breaking into the industry because the first thing people see is their age. Well, that's what I was getting at. And when we come back from break, we'll touch on that just a little bit because I, I, I manage a whole bunch of agents, as you well know. And it, oftentimes the the younger, you know, just out of school or after, you know, a couple of years into uh, their work career, they decide to become real estate agents. And unless they have a network, which you touched on, uh, they really have a struggle to get into uh, the makings of, you know, real estate uh, art, as I call it here in New York City, because again, it's, it's, it's very difficult. So we'll talk about that when we come back. I also um, wanted to talk a little bit more about some networking opportunities. We have to take a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. 
All right, everybody, we are back with Matthew Cohen from CORE Real Estate. Matt, what is your opinion on, on the emerging markets in New York City, and where are they, and how are they created? Everybody talks about these emerging markets, um, and again, as we peruse through our day in real estate, we've got to be mindful, and you said before the break that you try and keep up on everything real estate in New York, because that's what's going to make you successful. I completely agree. But what about these emerging markets today in New York City? Where are they? <clears throat> I think Currently. some. I think some great examples of emerging markets in in the city are Hudson Yards, um, Harlem, the even the Upper East Side. To be honest, I find that emerging markets have to do with a couple of t- just details, and and one of the biggest things is transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is commercial tenants and just development in general. So so if you take all of those and you look at the different neighborhoods in New York City, Hudson Yards just had the seven train be extended. So transportation is key there. There are about, I, I, the last I looked, it was like 96% complete for the Second Avenue subway. So that is going to be a huge influence on the Upper East Side. And it sounds funny, but the Whole Foods in Harlem is going to be a huge impact for that neighborhood. Not that it's already an amazing neighborhood that I personally love, but you know, statistically speaking, Whole Foods has had a huge impact on a lot of neighborhoods. But let but, but let's peel that back a little bit because again, you know, as we go out with our clients, they all you know they give us criteria and they want this, they want that, they don't want this, they don't want that. So when you know we're showing in Harlem, for example, and we point out that there are Whole Foods is coming or is already there, whatever, why is that a game changer? Why is that something that you know people say, wow, you know, is that enough of an incentive for me to live there? You know, because I I hear all kinds of things you know as I go through my week, and I wonder why these are important. For example, you know. Neighborhoods come and go. Upper East Side was out for a long time. Then all of a sudden, it started creeping back. Uh, Not as much, not as expensive as, say, the West Side, for example. And then all of a sudden, buzz about the Second Avenue line. And then, as you just said, about 96% complete. So that's really raising a lot of attention on the East Side. All of these things make a difference to clients when, when you start working with them. Absolutely. There's something so interesting about New York City real estate, as you said, that it's very different from anywhere else in the world. People who buy, even if they're buying for personal reasons that are outside of the investing world, always in a purchaser's mind, do they have appreciation? Because that's what New York City is all about, about appreciation. Unfortunately, people don't just buy something because they love it anymore. It's a certain percentage of love and it's a certain percentage of how much is this going to appreciate? And I don't want to lose money and things like that. So when you look at those different factors, I definitely think that people think about these things. And I've had clients laugh when I say how much a Whole Foods can influence a neighborhood. And I say to them, you can choose to not believe me or any other broker that you talk to, but statistically speaking, Whole Foods has impacted neighborhoods incredibly. I always say that if you want to look online and look at Gowanus in Brooklyn is a great example of a place that was nothing. I mean, it, it didn't Absolutely have a nothing. lot of it didn't have a lot of development at all, and residential real estate was going for about 500 to 600 a square foot. Then the Whole Foods came and now they're breaking a thousand a square foot. So you can choose not to believe me, but numbers definitely don't lie. They don't. Where do you spend most of your time in your business? What part of town or or obviously you're all over the place, but do you spend more time in one neighborhood than, than others? I am all over the place, but I am in certain neighborhoods more than others. I find myself in Tribeca a lot. 
I'm in Harlem a lot, and Midtown East and Long Island City. Very interesting. Tribeca is a very interesting marketplace. Right now, the cost of a New York City apartment hovers at record highs. The most recent data from Street Easy has Manhattan pads going for a median sale price of nine hundred eighty-two thousand. The same stat for North Brooklyn is $896,000. Where can we find the biggest and best New York City apartments today? Well, first of all, well, first of all, I think we have to admit that New York City real estate is unbelievable. And New York City is an amazing city that this is happening mm-hmm. um, and that everyone wants to be here. So it's great. It's positive. Um, but for the biggest and best apartments, I would say Harlem. Absolutely. The Upper East Side, Midtown East, places like Turtle Bay and the Sutton Place area, you can get a lot for your money. I was going to say, are we talking about size or are we talking about price for the size compared to other places? So you get more money, more for your money rather, in those neighborhoods. Definitely. <clears throat> you definitely get bigger spaces and more for your money in those neighborhoods, um, especially Sutton Place, because it, it's historically known to have larger apartments like Sutton Place South. Um, and another great area where you can get a lot for your money, in my opinion, is Long Island City, because mm-hmm. almost everything is a condo. Very rarely do you see a co-op over there. So right. there are just less restrictions and people, which allow people to spend more money, actually. Let me ask your opinion on Long Island City now that you bring it up. Do you feel it's becoming too overbuilt? Do you feel it's becoming too, um, too saturated? Do you think that there's going to be issues over there? Or do you think it's still evolving and, and there's plenty of room for continued growth? I was just there on Friday um, with a client looking at a new development in the Court Square area. Mm-hmm. So not the first stop off the seven, but it's about the second or third where okay. you have the Citibank building. So it's pushing back a bit. Exactly, um, where the courthouse is. And there's a lot of development. Um, I don't know if it's too much. I think that they just need to, met wherever you have areas that have a lot of development going on, you just need to match it with commercial tenants. I, I see a lot of areas that, develop so much in terms of condos and rental buildings and residential buildings and then it becomes a desolate area where there's no you know grand grocery stores or or even just mom and pop shops and you lose that sense of neighborhood and that sense of community that people do like yeah oftentimes when when you go into newer or emerging neighborhoods you know the the retail kind of follows uh, we've seen that all over the, the city here, especially over on Riverside Boulevard, uh, where all those Trump now Excel buildings are. You know, retail comes years later, and sometimes it's a problem. Sometimes it takes a while to to get there. You mentioned Sutton Place, and it's very interesting because we talked about Sutton Place about a week or two, maybe three weeks ago on the radio here. <clears throat> and that is a neighborhood that was always very, very popular. It's very um, sort of tucked away all the way east on the East River. Beautiful buildings, lovely, quiet Enclave, but for a while it kind of dropped off the face of you know Manhattan real estate for a whole host of reasons. But all of a sudden, I'm seeing it coming back again. Now, is this because of what you said before, or one of the reasons is because you get a little more for your money there in in larger size apartments, or is or because maybe the Second Avenue subway is about to happen? It makes it a little easier to think about living so far east because I'm trying to put my finger on because a couple of clients have asked me about it recently and I was very surprised because people haven't asked me about Sutton Place in years in years. I think it has to do with a mix of different reasons that you said definitely in terms of larger apartments um, the Second Avenue subway but most of 
my clients, I find, you know, really look at it because it's almost like they found that there's transportation over there. You do have the E and the M and the sixth on 53rd and third. And that's not a huge walk from the Sutton neighborhood because technically Sutton is between second Avenue and the river. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It also has to do with what we talked about earlier in terms of development. You have a new development called the Sutton that's, that's going on. Toll brothers had the Halcyon. Yeah. Um, you know, you have 301 East 53rd or East 51st, you know. 53rd, I think, yeah. So there's a lot of different things come into play. And as opposed to somewhere like Long Island City, when you take a client over there who's a new development client, for example, you take them there and they're used to seeing, I feel, more desolate neighborhoods where only new buildings are being built. But if you do take them to a new development like the Halcyon, they're pleasantly surprised because not only do they love the building, there's a lot of commercial tenants over there. It's a true neighborhood with restaurants and bars <clears> and and an atmosphere. Uh, so I think it's people would, are realizing it. I was going to ask you that and you brought it up again, the new development aspect, because I've watched how new development has really affected almost every neighborhood in our city and do you believe that you know the midtown east most especially the sutton place area that we've been talking about um, has emerged again because there is new development there because i find at least in my business there are so many more buyers who really want only new development absolutely people love new products And whether they want to admit it or not, there's something that's truly unique about buying an apartment that has never been lived in and you are the first occupant. It's it's a feeling that I, I personally think is wonderful. And my clients don't truly feel until we do our walkthrough. And I love seeing their expression on their face. So how much, what percentage of your business then is geared to new development and how much is it, you know, resale, co-op or condo? Um, it's all over the place. I don't know if I could give it certain percentages. It really is about the client. It's all about what they want at the end of the day. I will never, ever, ever push my clients towards a certain type of product, as we like to call it in the business. I more really want to know what they are looking for. And, and I am there more to give them their options and let them know how the process works because I find that most purchasers when it comes to the resale market they don't know the closing costs or when it comes to a new development they don't know that hey you you know you buy pre-construction and you only put down 10% when you sign the contract and you don't know anything else until you close it's it's a pretty nice package so in new development do you ever run into the issues we had a big conversation about this last week where you know the final product being delivered on closing day, walkthrough day, closing day, was a disappointment to your customers versus, oh, wow, this is something we've been waiting for a year, year and a half, two years. It's wonderful. We love it. Thank you. And, you know, that's it. Have you found any disappointment disappointment in clients of yours when you've taken them through their first walkthrough after product is delivered? I have. Um, I have. I actually had an example of this about a month ago. Um, one of my favorite clients actually purchased in a new development, and, and it took a year to be completed. And, and when we did our first walkthrough, there were definitely loose ends mm-hmm. um, between the floors and the kitchen, and even in the windows. But thankfully, you have a 30-day period once a new development gets their TCO. So you do your first walkthrough, and you give them... <laughs> 
your punch list and yeah. you hope that they fix it and yeah. they, they did so I am very impressed that developers do fix it yeah they have no choice I spent I spent five years selling new development um, you know in between my 14 years in this business when I was working at Halstead so uh, I used to you know I sold them all and then I would be around for questions after the first walkthrough you know whatever and you know I would find it be about 50-50% because I think the expectation coming into brand new as you said everybody loves the thought of brand new being in the department for the first time, but when they see a little bit of imperfection, and listen, stuff happens, it is a brand new development, uh, but I think attorneys really kind of scare the hell out of out of buyers um, on their walkthrough day, telling them, make sure you check every little thing and whatever. So it can go both ways, but it always settles in the right way, and people are always generally uh, very happy. And new development is a wonderful thing. Listen, I'm in the business long enough to remember where we didn't have enough inventory to sell, and the the what really happened back in I don't know six two thousand and six and two thousand and seven was the influx of a lot of these new buildings and it really kind of changed the face of Manhattan but it also added to our inventory problem at the time so it was very interesting to watch and I was on the front end of that anyway how do you handle a client that says to you they aren't sure if they should rent or continue renting or making a first time purchase they want to jump into the game but they're a little hesitant they don't know how to go you know in what direction they can afford to buy they're just sort of sitting on the fence you know this can be a major big conversation because uh, I've had it many times with with clients of mine who say that to me how do you handle that this is a huge conversation and it, it for me it encompasses around a mortgage um, thankfully I one of my closest friends just how happens to be my mortgage lender that all of my clients use and everyone loves him and between talking to me about the numbers and breaking them down because I am analytical, I also had them speak to the mortgage lender for at least an hour, really about comparing. Obviously, you know, even though we just had this rental decrease a few days ago, rental prices are inflated in Manhattan and Brooklyn and Long Island City, all over the city. Um, So when you do run the numbers and you compare what a rental would cost as opposed to purchasing an apartment and what your monthlies are going to be with the carrying costs and your mortgage interest, you know, they're usually pretty similar, actually. So when my clients find that, they're shocked. So I always say, if again, I don't push anyone, but I always say it's kind of a no-brainer. If you can afford the down payment, why not actually invest in something that you will have over time and that's going to appreciate when you have similar monthlies? to a rental where you're just kind of throwing the money out the window. Absolutely. All right, we have to go to break. Uh, Matt is going to stick around for the rest of the show with the rest of the panel, who will be back right after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. I want to say thank you to Matthew Cohen, Matt Cohen, who is going to stick stick it stick with us yeah, to the end us. of the show. Stick it to us. There you go. <laughs> uh, to join the rest of the panel, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com is here. Deborah Hoppin, Town Residential, and now Lundgren from Compass. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Vince. Good morning. How is everybody today? It's good. Rainy, so it was a little bit tough getting over here, but yeah, we made it. <laughs> I live on the I live on the west side, and it's. Today was easy, but a lot of times it's di- very difficult to get here. And it's just a straight line for me, but today was a breeze. It was but, another wow. garbage truck day for me. <laughs> I, I left the house at 10 to 7. It is now, what time? 9.30? Are you kidding? And I was stuck between so many garbage trucks. Getting over the George Washington Bridge was not I, a problem. It's all the garbage trucks. Yeah. On the west side. Well, I have a taxi rant story for all of you. Oh, boy. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Which wasn't planned, but of course, you know, these it things happen. It wouldn't ha- be you if it, were, if it wasn't. But, yeah, I just, I can't, I just really can't take it anymore. It's you're, like, a, you're a schmuck magnet. Yes, I am. For you can taxis. say that on the air. <laughs> for taxis. So I'm in the taxi yesterday going home, and, you know, it's a Monday, so from Midtown West, where my office is, to home, it's not that much traffic. The rest of the week, because of the theater district, it gets crazy. But yesterday is Monday, you know, we got in a cab right away. <laughs> So we go around and we get up on, you know, 10th Avenue to head north. And all of a sudden, you know, this driver decides he's pissed off, excuse me, to, with a, a driver next to him. And they start drag racing Come on. up, drag racing up 10th Avenue. But the, when he hit the, the gas pedal the first time, I went flying into the, the glass thing because, of course, my head is in my phone as it always is. The bag falls off the, the seat. Now I'm screaming at this guy to calm down. What are you doing? And he's cursing in some language to the guy next to him. And they're drag racing up 10th Avenue for about five blocks. The only thing that stopped him was a light. And I thought, if you do that again, not only am I going to report you because I just took a picture of your little license thing here, Mm -hmm. you're never going to drive a car again. And did you fear for your life? No. Okay. Well, that's good at least. I didn't because you know what? He, he, He stopped. And I don't know what happened to the other guy, but... I'm just sitting there thinking, what on earth goes on with these people, and why is it I have to find out all of these imperfections in a taxi situation? I told you, you are a schmuck magnet for bad taxi drivers. Out of all my close friends, you're the only one who has these constant experiences. But you know what I said to myself when I went home and poured a stiff vodka? I said, listen, here, here's... It's worth it. I'm going... Yes, it was. It, it, I'm going through each... But I'm tired of it. Every day or every episode is something very different. You know, from one guy thinking that I shot at him because I closed an eyeglass case to whatever. I mean, I should start writing these down. Amazing. I should really start writing these down. My favorite taxi thing is when they fly over speed bumps. Has that ever happened to you guys? Mm. Always. And and I just always bounce. And and I will actually say to them, can can you just be a little safer? (laughs) Mind you, last last bit on this because my blood pressure goes up. But as he's drag racing, he's actually talking to somebody on the phone. Of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Just rounds it all out. Standard. We already assume that standard <laughs> events uh subway maybe take the subway no uh via maybe uh well, well listen i can do uh, uber but yeah but mondays like i said it's just easy you walk outside i don't have to order it because you can get a taxi on mondays very easy here but when i'm in my hood it's always a subway now is so it worth it 
now? Is it worth it after so many of these rants? You no. Know? And I, every time I have a rant, I say I'm not going to do it again. But, of course, I go right back on it. <laughs> Subway, you know. Well, I was going to say it just seems very pleasurable after all if- – Compared to these experiences you're talking about, I mean, I have this joyride every day on the subway. You a know? joyride. Yeah, it's yeah. a joyride, you know. Actually, again, from where I live to where the studio is and where my office is, it's a straight run. So on the it train, is. it would be very easy. Anyway, let's move on. The New York mm-hmm. City market can often feel like it is moving and shifting at a rapid pace, except for one rather unsettling fact. Everything is getting more expensive by the day. How do you guide your new buyers looking to dive into the market? Prices are up. Prices are way up uh, on the sales side. A new buyer comes in and says, wow, you know, are we shifting markets here? Is it becoming more of a buyer's market? And do I, can we continue to justify these higher prices? What is in the seller's mind? How much can I get this apartment for? And as I keep saying for the past couple of weeks, I have three listings, sales listings in one building. And it's been very troublesome trying to get offers uh, anywhere near close to asking price right now. And I believe and someone who's in this business for a long time, that we are priced where we need to be. Not bad. So what are we telling new buyers today when they ask us these questions? What is the market about? And do I have flexibility? Well, I think uh, everyone's looking at me. Um, Niall here. I think We We want the anchor to speak. I think uh, what we talked about um, a couple weeks ago, I think is pretty indicative of what I'm seeing in the market. We spoke about. Bro, you mentioned you know what Barbara Corcoran had said: three types of markets: yeah. uh, seller's market, buyer's market, and a transitional market. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've in the last couple you know episodes, we've talked about specific deals that I've been working on and um, negotiability with sellers. And it, and it does feel like we're in a transitional market. Um, I think buyers are a little bit more patient; they're not jumping in in all being all about a bidding war like they were a year ago. Um, if it seems like it's going to be, you know, heated, a lot of them back off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had even buyers with great deals back off. Um, you know, uncertainty with their jobs. Um, some people are getting, you know, fired. Some of the uh, the guys in the, the financial industry. Um, there's a lot of layoffs going on as well. So um, it, it really depends on, on the particular buyer. And I'm sure, you know, somebody else has, has someone, uh, some more flavor, color um, in, into that. I, uh, I agree. I mean, I, but I, I will say that I, I don't think you can generalize the market because I think that it depends on the price range. You know, as much as I, I do think that price is becoming an issue sometimes depending on the apartment, I, I think that I'm finding that a lot of things under a million dollars are really yeah. flying if they're Especially priced correctly. Especially in Brooklyn, right? I yeah, agree exactly. with that. So, uh, you know, it depends on on the price range. I also find that once you're in the high end market, anywhere above 2 million, it's really important to be priced correctly. Cause if you're just a hundred thousand dollars off, you'll really scare away buyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going to just add that on that point, you know, I know Vince, you talked about those apartments that are sitting and you feel like they're priced right. Um, I have to say, I, I tend to think that the collective wisdom of the market tends to know the price. So mm-hmm. when some when stuff's sitting, it's probably overpriced, you know, even though it was probably priced right at the time when you put it on, you know, the, yeah. the collective wisdom of the market just tends to know. Phil, do you want to tell the, Vince's sellers that? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, no, no I, I happen to 100% agree with yes. him, but I agree with you also now mm-hmm. that it is a, it, you know, we are probably already in the transition of this transitional market. But that's a good question that Niall just asked. You know, what do you, when the sellers say to you, because, you know, and these were only priced two months ago. So when the sellers say to you, so what happened? Last year, <coughs> comps in the building show that we can get these prices and very nicely. And I sell in this building all the time. So it's, it's, 
valid, you know, when I give them yeah, numbers. You know the numbers. Exactly. And yeah, I know the numbers. More than anybody. So, so it's hard for a seller to swallow the fact that, you know, two months later, you know, on the close of a door, the market just kind of stalls or stops. And now you're telling me I have to come down $50,000 or $75,000. So, you know, the question is, <clears throat> how do you, you know, how do you prepare a seller more importantly um, for the transition from one market to the other, because I think, it, and it's not just me; it's several uh, brokers and, and friends that that uh, I deal with every day, having the same issue. You know, it's not an easy conversation to have. And my other question is, you know, is this neighborhood dependent? I mean, Brooklyn, we know is is still hot and it's still on fire. And the in the, the news item I read earlier, you know, it's jumped up significantly. <clears throat> but right here, back at home in Manhattan. Is it neighborhood dependent where we're having some transitional issues or is it just across the board? I think it's across the board. And one thing, I'm going to come back to your point in a moment, but one thing that I heard which really shocked me, we had an all-office meeting last week and we talk about what is going on with, well, with the market in general, but if something happens to more than one broker, and this happened to four brokers in the last three weeks in my office, um, then we talk about it. And what had happened was people are just about to sign contracts. All the due diligence was done. And there was a huge blip in the stock market or I think Mm -hmm. something happened overseas. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the buyers want to renegotiate the price. And, you know, you always have one or two people want to do that. But when it happens to four people and four people in one office, we're wondering, again, it's a transitional market. But back to your point, Vince – is uh, Phil will remember when I was back at uh, Corcoran, I was there during the early days of the downturn. And I had a number of listings at the time. And my sellers were saying, what's going on? What's going on? I didn't know how to have that conversation of the market changing. So I channeled Barbara Corcoran, who used to sit down the hallway from me. And what would she do? And she used to walk up and down the halls and before she went on TV to say, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Because she wanted the news from the trenches. So I sent an email out to the company saying, hey, how are your open houses this week? How, send me the address, the price point, the location, basically, how many people you had, and anything you've heard from any of them. In addition, if you were out with buyers, what was the talk on the street? What were you seeing? And over over the course of a number of months, it turned into the whole company. But when you ask a lot of brokers it, across the board, I would have loved to do it for every company in the city because we all exchange information, but they'll tell you what's happening. When you take that information to your sellers and you say, here's an apartment just like yours a block away, and actually the building's a little nicer, and they're not getting anyone, and their price is lower. When you physically show it to them… Yep. It does start to help. In addition, I learned something from a brilliant um, Sotheby's broker 20 years ago when I started in the business. When she's having a problem with a seller, they really need to see and hear things from other companies. So what I always do is have a huge broker's open house and have everyone come. I try to serve food because you serve food, they will come, (laughs) usually on a weekday, and they are not allowed to leave until they leave their business card and written on the back of it or any place there's white space – how much they think this should go for, and one sentence as to why, depending on the market. And it and you sit down. You can't do it over the phone. You have to sit down with your seller, show them all the cards, and say, hey, you've got four different companies here. 
We're not making this. I'm, this isn't in my yeah, interest. That's this is in your interest. Strategy. And I've done yeah. that a lot. It's a lot of legwork, but I've done that through my whole career, and it does. I think they too, can see it. I think too. I mean, what you're talking about is just kind of being transparent, and I think yeah. data is really important. Um, how many people came to the open house? You know, if if you're yeah. consistently you know showing one or a zero, yeah, you know, then then there's something wrong. I will say though that mm-hmm. this this past week Sunday, uh, our open house at the building was a lot better than it had been in the last four weeks. So it's maybe moving a little bit again, and we yeah. have some interest. We actually have two offers. Okay, there you so go. we'll see where it goes. But you know. You just don't know. You offers a twenty percent below asking price, though. They're not at asking okay. price at yeah. all. <laughs> also, wait, the the two offers are on one unit. You said you had three in that building. Three and then yeah. two, two so, are on one. Yes. Uh, and two are on one. Okay, and the others were kind of hanging we're out, hoping. Yeah, we're okay. hanging out. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to commercial break. We are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with the panel. Matt is joining us today from Core uh, Real Estate, Phil Horrigan, leasebreak.com, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, and uh, Lundgren from Compass. All right, so spring is here, and New Yorkers have begun to pine for the great outdoors, but restful spots are hard to come by in this city. So here again, Brick Underground Survey asked a handful of New Yorkers, would you rather live next to a public park or have a private decked-out courtyard all to yourself? The courtyard to yourself, is it yours personally or a Personal. building one that you that no one else uses? Um, that's a good no. Uh, no, building. Uh, it's shared. Courtyard. Shared. Yes. That, that nobody else wants to Okay. Courtyard. So do you want to have a courtyard in your complex or do you want to have a be closer to a park where you can go outside and be in, in a park and not have to deal with your neighbor? I think I you I w- a long time ago, I would have said the private courtyard, but I I lived near Central Park recently and man I'm a changed man. It's just so incredible. There's nothing Mm -hmm. like it. I also have a 20-month-year-old daughter now, and, you know, pretty soon a little courtyard's not going to be enough space for her. So, you know, you can go running. You can play soccer. I mean, it's just uh, beautiful Central Mm -hmm. Park. So I have to go with the park. 
I agree. I definitely think public park. I also find, did anyone read the article that was a few weeks ago, either in the New York Times or New York Magazine, about how the Upper East Side is all going to Tribeca and then the whole just transition from the Upper East to Tribeca and families and whatnot. And and the only reason I'm using that example is because I'm finding that more and more people who love Central Park are actually loving all the piers on the Hudson that they're building um, or that are already complete. Um, because in the summer, as you know, when you go to Central Park, it's packed. But I definitely think that people love living near something that they can either go and have a picnic in or just bike around. I've said it before. I'm a country boy, grew up in the suburbs. So outdoor space means a lot to me. So the verdict on this one is... Uh, it was a clean sweep. Everybody wants the outdoor park and not a courtyard. And if I live on Riverside. If it was a terrace, for example, mm-hmm. or a roof deck or something it, like that, that was private. That's different. That's a different story. That's a but different story. the courtyard, the, hands down, the park wins every yeah. time. Yeah. Always. Yeah. You know, and I live on Riverside Park, so I'm a block, block away from Riverside Park, and I have a dog. So we go in there all the time, and it's it's heaven, as you say, Phil. It's just really kind of heaven to be outside and think. And then, of course, I also have the view of the water on Riverside Park. So you get the water. You get the the park and you get everything else that goes with it. All right. New York landlords have stringent requirements that often take newcomers by surprise. New people into the city want to rent, but they're taken aback with some of the the issues they have to deal with. Namely, that a renter must have an annual income of at least 40 times the monthly rent in order to qualify. If an applicant can't manage this, and many first-time renters can't, they'll need a guarantor, someone who agrees to be... Uh, responsible for the rent in the event the tenant defaults. As you might guess, guarantors are frequently the parents of renters or good friend or whatever. But my question is, because most people really want to know when they dig into why, what, how, whatever, what does a guarantor actually do anyway? I mean, what what is the point of a guarantor other than beyond getting them into the door? Well, actually, this That's happened. a big risk, I think, right? Well, this actually happened to a friend of mine who I told her, do not be a guarantor for your daughter because her daughter's a flake. I mean, mm-hmm. really, she really is. Why don't she's, you just tell them well, how you say it? Like <laughs> you know me, I, I'm yeah. honest. <laughs> but, but honestly, I said, there please, we watch too many Judge Judys mm. where a parent is a guarantor for something and they're stuck and, and actually happened to my friend. She didn't listen to mm. me. She became a guarantor. The daughter flaked out, moved to the West Coast, oh, yeah. and she still had six months left on her lease. And... My friend said, oh, well, she's finding a roommate. I said, tell that to the landlord mm-hmm. until she finds one. And you're stuck. And actually, my friend was having little financial problems and her husband was unemployed. And I said, you're stuck. You signed it. And it happens. It it's, really It's does. interesting. So the, what the, the guarantor is basically someone that's guaranteeing the rent. Yes. And there's a lot of landlords that will require the guarantor be from certain states. For example, they may say the tri-state area, mm-hmm. we only take guarantors. Mm-hmm. Or they'll say we take all guarantors except, and they'll mention a few states, I'd be like Texas, California, and Florida. Yeah. And the reason is because sometimes the laws in those states make it difficult for you as a landlord in New York to go after someone in those states. That's why if you see that, you'll see on listings, it'll say no guarantors from, and it'll mention like a few states. Or some landlords just want to make sure the guarantor is close by so they could, God forbid, you know, sue them if they had to. It's wow. a problem. I've, mm. I've uh, experienced something similar to, to Deb's story uh, with a client. I wasn't involved in the transaction, but um, I had to try and help them get out of it, which of course he couldn't. But you know, you, you, you're putting your name, your 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 whatever reputation on the chopping block if someone flakes out and you are now responsible for the rent. It's not an easy situation. But in this town, forty and sometimes forty-five times the monthly rent in income. If you don't have it, it's very hard to live here. And the guarantor is usually eighty times the rent. And yes. with a guarantor, it's Maybe eighty times. Absolutely, yeah, it depends. All right, brokers never cease to find. 
creative ways to drum up attention for their listings, whether it's uh, through videos, themed open houses, or even grand parties. But the latest high-tech trapping to gain uh, attention and ground is virtual reality listings. Now, I had a personal experience with this, which I'll get into later. A new level of gadgetry that have uh, profiled the New York Times recently and slowly put to use for the city's higher-end listings. And it makes sense. Besides the undeniable novelty factor, which right now I think it is a novel uh, novelty, if you're a faraway buyer who can't actually visit New York regularly, but you still want to look at apartments, this is now the new way to do it. Virtual reality glasses on your face and you get a whole tour of the apartment. So my question is, but will this fun new toy ever make it its way into the apartment hunting process of the mere mortals out there looking and not just the mythical foreign billionaire set. In other words, is this really going to catch on? I had a I had a demonstration in my office, I don't know, half a year ago, uh, and I have to tell you something, I hated it. I felt dizzy. I felt like I was going to pass out. It was just way too much going on in, in my face, in my eyes, and I didn't get anything out of it. I'm a visual person, so if I look at a picture, if I look at a floor plan, I don't even have to see a video. I can make that decision on whether this is going to work for me or not. But somewhere along the line, this virtual technology is really catching on. I think Corcoran is using it a lot, from what I hear. I I don't get what it's about. I am convinced it'll definitely revolutionize the way we look at real estate. I'm really? just just the things that I've heard, things that I've seen, people that know about this stuff. It's at the early stages, Vince. Of so like the, the dizziness you're talking about oh, it was is horrible. yeah. Horrible. So it really does it's not quite where it needs to be. But the people that have used it and like, you know, because in there's in some of these labs are testing it and it's just incredible. People that have said they they thought they these are non believers that went in saw, put on a virtual reality headset, and were just blown away. I mean, you re- literally are transported into that space. It's true. Have you guys heard of uh, the Samsung uh, new building that they built, 837 Washington? And they oh, have, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. know if you guys had a chance. Yeah. I was there over the weekend, and they have like 4D and virtual reality and all kinds of – it's it's a crazy, crazy space. I recommend just going to check it out. I'm an Apple guy, but it was awesome. And for the first time, I sat down – with the, the headset on, I actually experienced the uh, the 3D, and I did like Jurassic Park, and I was just looking around at <laughs> dinosaurs. It was pretty cool, but you could see that how crisp the technology is now with like TVs. It felt like a 1999 video game, like Nintendo 64 or something along mm. those lines. I see it getting there yeah. for sure, and it will, I think, change the way real estate is done. But right now, it's it's still in its infancy, I think. But I'm gonna play the old card here for a minute <laughs> and say, I'm there, and say, yes, the oh, he's Deborah. <laughs> but and say, all right, so what's wrong with the old fashioned, the old traditional way of buying real estate, seeing real estate, shopping for real estate, whatever you want to do? I mean, I get all these these gadgets. I'm an Apple guy too. I've got every device you can imagine. But it's like, do we get to the point where we're just over gadgeted and, and, and it's like, do we need all this stuff to get, many- to get real estate? But the thing is, as a buyer, how many, I mean, you don't really, okay, Vince, you said you have a good sense of the space by looking at the floor plan. I do. Most experienced agents eventually get that. Mm -hmm. But I will say when I first started, I could look at a floor plan and it it didn't mean anything to me. I could not figure it out. However, over time, after seeing thousands of apartments and seeing the floor plans, you start to get it, right? But a buyer doesn't have that experience. And so for them to be able 
to really have a sense of a space before they actually go in the space is going to save so much time. How many times do we set up appointments for buyers? They walk into the space and in 30 seconds, they're like, oh, th- yeah, this isn't what I Oh, all want. the time. They look at a floor plan. Mm-hmm. They think they like it. Right. They come and see it or they look at a picture and, and a, say, oh. And a broker is able to kind of play with that a little bit because you have a floor plan. You have, you're mm-hmm. selective with the pictures that you use, right? You're trying to you're understandably creating an experience. You're representing the seller. With virtual reality, it may be a little more difficult. The buyer may be able to get a better sense of what the space is really like. I say I'm a little weary about it. I have to agree with Vince on this one. And I'm young. I love technology. (laughs) Absolutely. But I think that, well, first of all, to your point, actually one of the first things I teach my buyers is to not look at photos and look at the floor plan. Just skip to the floor plan, see the space, see the dimensions. Um, I I don't know. I, I I think there's something about going to see an apartment in person that will never be established through a virtual whatever you want to call it and I, and I also I, in terms of buyers think about it on the sales side as well I mean I represent a lot of buyers but if I'm representing a seller I hate to say it but I, I will definitely talk to them about a sight unseen offer if we ever get one I think that sometimes problem of problems arise when you have sight unseen. They're very scary. Yeah, so I, I don't know how much it can be well, just implemented. To, uh, just to your point, I, I agree with everything you said, actually. I would just add that I don't know if it'll necessarily replace going to the actual apartment, but it'll help screen. So maybe instead of seeing those 10 apartments, now you're only going to see two, and there's a much higher chance that those are the of those two, you're going to put an offer on those. Instead of having to see 10, you might just see two. That's what I'm... I'm All right, thinking. guys, I'm sorry, but we got to stop right there. We are out of time. Oh that is Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.